So excited about um, introducing you to our special speaker today. His name is Scott Sager. Uh, I got to know Scott years ago when he was campus minister at the University of Texas, and uh, I was campus minister at Alabama. And just from the beginning, we just really hit it off and have developed a great friendship. I've loved watching his career in God's kingdom as he did just a great work for 15 years as the preaching minister of the Preston Road Church in Dallas, Texas. And for the last few years, he's been working as vice president of church services at Lipscomb University. And again, he's doing a great job at that growing, thriving university. And he's a big part of it. Been really blessed that my son Lincoln has had him for a couple of his Bible classes. He actually passed, which that's a good thing. And Scott does a just a wonderful job communicating God's Word. What I love about Scott is he has a heart for the local church. And um, that's what he's all about. And uh, he's going to bless us today. He's got some really important things to talk to us about. Um, again, I'm thrilled that he's here, and I know that you're going to be blessed to listen to him. The only thing that really uh, disappoints me is that, that I won't be able to be there with you guys today. I'm actually preaching today in Knoxville, Tennessee. So um, take, good friend of, take good care of my friend Scott. I always love to introduce some of my friends to some of my other friends. And so, Scott, I'm thrilled to introduce you to... Um, a group of people I love with all of my heart, the members of Landmark. And Landmark, I'm thrilled that you're going to get to be blessed and to get to know my friend Scott. So have a great day being reminded, as we're doing all month long, of what really are the big deals in our life and in our church. It's a delight to be with you today. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 25. We'll be there in just a minute. Also, if you'll open up your uh, bulletin, you'll notice inside... There's a place where you can take notes that go along with the message of the morning. There's a research program that was done at the University of California, and what they discovered is that you are 42% more likely to put something into practice if you write it down. So if you want to take some notes, it'll really help you to take the most, uh, get the most out of our time together. It's a delight to be here. Buddy's been a dear friend since 1990 when we uh, first met. I'm glad to be here. I tell people all the time I have just a few favorite preachers in the country. Buddy loves the Word of God. He's an outstanding communicator. But my love for Buddy is greatest because he's one of our ministers who can really preach, who still loves lost people and cares about reaching lost people for Christ. And so Buddy is at the top of the chain as far as I'm concerned of preachers, and so it's great to be here today. And I'm delighted by your new worship minister. A few years ago, we always bring uh, Buddy and Jeremy every time we can get them to, uh, to campus, and uh, Jeremy's been a big part of summer celebration and the worship there. And I leaned over to Walt Lever, who we put the program on with, and I said, if I could only have one guy that worship, led worship all the time, he'd be the guy. And I just love him. And so it's, it's a delight to be here at this place today. Uh, there really was a ship called the Resolute. It was a British ship. And it was found by United States whalers. And they brought it back to the United States. And they patched it up. And then Congress sent it to England. And Queen Victoria received it. It did its work when it was decommissioned. She had the great idea of taking it apart and building two desks. One is in Buckingham Palace. The other was given as a gift 
to Rutherford B. Hayes, the President of the United States. And it sat in the Oval Office for most of the last century. Uh, you might remember the pictures of JFK with his children underneath that desk. That's the Resolute Desk. Every president since Jimmy Carter has used that desk. And they sit at that desk and they make important decisions. Decisions that require resolve. Decisions that require our best effort. And so this morning I wanted to remind you that what we just did at the table is the biggest deal of all. It was the table that you came to to be resolute to remind yourself with bread and a cup that you've been bought with a price. To remind yourself that you see the world differently because of what we celebrated at that table. Everything is different for us because of what happened there. And so I want to talk to you today not just about a resolute desk, but how to have a resolute life. In your uh, program, you'll notice that I give you a quote from Plato who said... The unexamined life really isn't worth living. And so I want us to think a little bit about how do we keep score. How do you keep score? I went to Abilene Christian University, and one day in chapel, they talked about how that Special Olympics was going to be there uh, that weekend for a big basketball tournament. And I didn't have a date on Friday night, and so I'm standing in the line at the bean, and the food looks horrible, and so I go to the cereal line, Uh, to get something to eat, and right in front of me is a young girl, and she's wearing a green basketball outfit, and I think, Special Olympics. And so I'll talk to anybody. I just love to hear about people, and so I said, okay, tell me about your day. Did you have a game? She said, yes. I said, well, how'd you do? And she said, we lost, but I won. I thought, Special Olympics, this girl, she doesn't get it. So I explained, you know, basketball is a team sport. Either everyone wins or everyone loses, but you can't win while your team loses. And she said, no, my coach said that even though we lost, I won. And I said, well, that's not possible. And she said, well, he said it was because this is the first time I've played a whole game without losing my temper. Take my foot out of my mouth and realize I've discovered a different way to keep score. You see, the world that we live in today has a scoreboard, and it tells us that if you want to be successful, you've got to be the best. And I want you to know, and I want the Faulkner students and every college student that's here and everyone who's working and everyone who's teaching and everyone who's doing research and everyone who's into medicine, whatever it is that God has called you to do, I want you to know that I want you to excel. I want you to do the very best you can. I want people to look at you and say, Christians can be the very best at what they do. But I want you to understand that there's a scoreboard that's higher than that one. A different way of keeping score. Because while we want to perform well on the scoreboard of life, we understand that there's a scoreboard beyond it. And so we keep score differently. There's a couple of texts uh, that I put in your handout. The first one, listen to this from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding value or promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
So Paul says, train yourself to be godly. And then look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He writes, everyone who, compare, who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it in order to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I... What's that next word? Yeah, it's not buffet, is it? It's No, I buffet my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified from the race. And so the question is, how do you keep score and what defines a win for you in your life? And the answer, of course, is this. It's a win if I am becoming more like Jesus today. That's the scoreboard that really matters. Am I becoming more like Jesus today? I love to read C.S. Lewis. I assign him in a lot of my Bible classes. Right now we're reading Mere Christianity. And one of the things he says in there is that he believes that the world was created for no other reason than for us to become little Christ's. No church, no Bible, even the the world itself was created for no other purpose. And so my question for you this morning would be, what are you doing to train yourself to be godly? What's your workout plan? What is it that you've put in place that's going to allow you at the end of 2017 to say, I look more like Christ this year than I did last year. And I want us to understand that life goes by really fast. On your handout, I show you there's three ways that you can deal with the life that's been given to you. The first one is that you can waste your life. God's dumped all sorts of blessings and resources upon you. He's given you time. He's given you talent. He's given you treasure. He's given you responsibility. And you can waste it all just like the prodigal son who God dumped a third of blessings upon him, the Father did, and he went out and he wasted them on wild living, accomplishing nothing. But the one that scares me is the second one. I can spend my life. I can spend my life. And that's what the older son does in the story, Luke 15, the prodigal son. Do you remember? His father comes out to talk to him. Why won't you come in the house? And he says, Dad... I've been faithful to you my whole life. I've always been here, and you've never even given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But now, this son of yours has come, and you killed the fatty calf. And do you remember what he says? What the father says to that son? He says, you don't get it. Everything I have is yours. It's all been available to you. You haven't done anything with it, But it's not my fault, it's yours. And that's why I want to challenge us today to understand that God wants us to invest our life for the sake of the kingdom of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. No moth, no rust. No thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so the only thing that we can invest in on this earth 
that will pay dividends in heaven are people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Everything else will be gone. And so the big question is, how do we invest our life in this world to pay dividends in the next one? And that brings us to the text of the morning, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 25, 14, it's the parable of the talents. And to make sure that we stay on time today, I'm going to just kind of summarize it for you and uh, tell you what I think are the high points of that. And that is, there's this master who calls his servants to him, and to one he, he gives five talents. A talent at that time was about $1,000 today. Now we talk about talent, and we take that word from Jesus, and we talk about time, treasure, talents, all the gifts that have been given to us. But to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, to another he gave one talent. And then he went away for a long time, and the one who was given the five talents immediately put them to work and gained five more. And the one who was given the two talents immediately put the two talents to work and came up with two more. But the one talent that was given, he was afraid. Because he knew his master was harsh. And he knew that he reaped where he didn't sow. And he had high expectations. And so he got out his shovel and he dug a hole underneath his tent. He put his talent in there and went on his way. And the text says, after a long time, the master returned. And he called his servants and said, give an account of what I've given to you. And the one with five came with another five and said, Master, you gave me five. Look, I've made five more. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little thing. Now I'm going to put you in charge of a lot of things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the one with two came and said, Look, you gave me two and I made two more. And he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. Come and share your master's happiness. But the one, he dug it up and he brought it to the master and he said, I knew you were hard and harsh and I knew you reaped where you didn't sow and I was afraid. And so I took this talent and I buried it and look, here it is, safe, intact, ready to give back to you. And the master replied, You wicked servant. If you knew that I reap where I didn't sow. You should have at least put the money in the bank where it would have gained interest. Now, take that away from him and give it to the one with ten and throw him out on the street where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is it that we're supposed to get from this story? This big deal investment story that I want you to understand this morning. There's several principles I want you to notice. The first one is this. The principle of ownership. The principle of ownership. And the big idea behind the principle of ownership is this. God owns everything. God owns everything. Can you say that with me? God owns everything. David in Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. For he founded it upon the waters, he established it upon the seas. And another place he says, the cattle on a thousand hills all belong to who? To him. 
because everything belongs to him. And here's something you've got to pay attention to. If you've been baptized, he owns you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with price. When you gave your life to Christ, you basically let him purchase you. And he owns you. He owns everything. So everything that's mine, God really owns. And you know how I know that? Because when I die, I don't get to take any of it with me. And the man with the most toys doesn't win. The principle of God's ownership. The second thing I want you to notice is the principle of God's allotment. The principle of God's allotment. What that simply means is that God gave some five, some two, and some one. We all don't get the same amount from God. Does that mean God's not fair? No. It says, each according to his ability. God knew, or the master knew in this story, how much each one of them could handle and gave them exactly what they could handle. By the way, one of the great reasons to give your life fully to the Lord while you're young, while you're young, while you're young, while you're young, is because it gives more time for you to develop yourself so that God can do more with you, so that God can give more talents to you. And so, five, two, and one, each were given according to their ability to handle it. And so the big deal here is that God has given some of his gifts, his time, his talent, energy, responsibility, he's given it to me. Rush Limbaugh used to say, talent on loan from God. That's how he'd start his show. So couldn't you say that about yourself? I have talent. I have gifts. I have responsibilities. I have blessings. They're all on loan from God. God has given me and has blessed me with gifts. And it's important for me to realize that I've got a lot of gifts and talents and blessings. And to count those and to appreciate them. But to understand that they were given to me by the Master. So the principle, God owns it all. Principle of allotment, God has given some of his gifts to me. The third principle, where the rubber meets the road, is the principle of accountability. The principle of accountability. What does that mean? It means I am responsible for how I use what God has given to me. The parable goes like this. After a long time, the master returned. In another parable, we find out they didn't know when the master was going to return. He doesn't tell us when he's going to return. He just shows up. And he says, at that moment, he called them in to give an account, and he asked them the same question that someday God Almighty is going to ask you. You ready to hear it? What did you do with what I gifted you? That will be the big deal question. And it will come to each of us. What did you do with what I gifted you? How did you use it? You see, one of the real flaws with me 
as a person. I'm not nearly as good of a person as Buddy made you believe on the video. I struggle because I judge other people based upon their actions. What did you do? You know how I judge myself? Based upon my intentions. I give myself a lot of grace. Well, I meant to do that. I was thinking about that. That, that seemed like a good idea. You know, I was really considering that. That's not how accountability works, is it? There's going to be a day when God's going to say, what did you do with what I gifted you? Not what did you think about doing, but what did you do? And so this principle of accountability becomes really important. I will answer to God for the use, which leads us to principle number four, the principle of reward. If I used it well, God will bless me. If I used it poorly, I'll hear him say, You wicked servant. God will reward me based upon what I do with what he's entrusted me. And that leads to the fifth thing, and this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the big deal of all big deals for today. And that is the principle that I am calling God's investment strategy. Did you know God has an investment strategy? I mean, here's an example. Say I uh, am in finance and I have, it's not my money, it's somebody else, but say somebody gives me a half a million dollars to invest for them. Sounds pretty cool, right? And so I'm looking at five hedge funds. And these five hedge funds, they take risk, but they're supposed to make a good return. So one of them's made an 18% return over the last three years, another one 22% over the last three years, another one 27% over the last two years, not a great year before that, but a really good return. And then there's one, 1%, 0%, Now. If you've got a half a million dollars to invest, and there are these various hedge funds that you can invest in, how many of you are going to give an equal portion to the one that's got a 0% return? Can I see your hand? Anybody? Anybody going to invest $100,000 in an organization that has shown zero return over the last three years? You know what? God won't either. God's investment strategy is this. Use it or lose it. He says, take the one from the one who wasn't using it and give it to the one who has ten. And you scratch your head and say, that's not fair. Well, what's God about? God wants Christians to change the world for the kingdom of God. And so it says in 1 Chronicles, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro upon the whole earth, seeking to show his power in the lives of those who are completely his. He's looking to put his resources in the places where they can do the most good. He's looking to bless those who are using what's given to them to bless other people. 
And so this whole principle is, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be generous. You've got to take risk. You've got to decide that I'm going to lay up for myself treasures in heaven. That I'm going to be generous with all that God's given me. My time, my talent, my treasure, the responsibilities. I'm going to be generous because God has called me to hold these things loosely in my hands and to use them for the kingdom of God. And so the question at the end of the day becomes this one. When all is said and done and your life is over, what do you want the one who's looking at the upper scoreboard to say to you? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Listen to a scripture. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's not in your notes. But I want you to listen to it for just a moment because it's so important. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Do I get an amen for that? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Does God want you to have fun with the things that he's given to you? Absolutely. Enjoy them. But listen, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they grab hold of the life that is really living. God's calling us to invest our life in a kingdom that we cannot see. But to call people into that and to be generous with what he's given to us. I told you about that Resolute Desk. On that Resolute Desk have been two famous things. One was a plaque Truman put on the desk. You know what it said? On one side it said, I'm from Missouri. Show me. I don't care about your intentions. I want to see what you do. And on the other side, the part he read every day, it said, the buck stops here. No more excuses. It's time to get serious. The other thing that was on that desk, as crazy as it will sound, is that JFK put a coconut on that desk. And before you scratch your head too much, it wasn't just any coconut. He used to command PT-109. And the ship was destroyed. And he was abandoned on an island where he was left to starve to death. And he took a coconut and he drilled it out and he put a note inside and threw it in the sea in hopes that somebody would find it and come and rescue him. And they did. And they gave him the coconut so he would never forget the fact that he was saved. 
And I want us to understand today, we've come to the table of the Lord so that we could be resolute, so that we could understand what's important, and so that we could understand the really big deal for us is because of all he's done for us, it's time for us to be generous, to be willing to share, to be the blessing that the world so desperately needs. If you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. If you've given your life to him, but you're monkeying around, you're not taking it seriously, it's time to reinvest your life in a return that will last for eternity. Whatever we can do to minister to you, that's why we're here. We're not in a hurry. We encourage you to come to the front as we stand and sing this song together.